Welcome to Radical Australia and Community Radio 3CR 855 on the AM dial, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Good afternoon, Baroness, Empress Good Dale. How are you? Good afternoon, Joe. Very well, thank you. Now, now, you know 3CR, after a year, has finally said they like the program. Oh, wow. We've actually got things we've got to tell people. I can't believe this. They gave me this as I walked in. Do you know that people can email us at radicalaustralia at gmail.com? Beautiful. And they can write to us at post office box 1277 Collingwood 3066. And why do we want people to email and write to us? Because we want interesting, exciting guests on Radical Australia. So if you know somebody who's interesting and exciting, it may even be you. Yeah. Let us know and we'll put you on the list and we'll dissect you. We do vivisection on air <laughs> on Radical Australia. <laughs> yeah. Good afternoon, Lynn Beaton. Good afternoon, Joe. Good afternoon, Dale. Good afternoon, listeners. Yes, don't forget the listeners. That's what we're here for, believe it or not. Now, Lynn, I'm impressed. You've got two ends on your name. Why I is do. two ends? You'd have to ask my mother that, Joe. No, maybe I think, she's uh, not with us, is she? No, she is. She's, oh, well, she's, I have to ask her then. 95, my yes, mother. Yes, yes, she is. I think, actually, to be honest, what I think happened is that she looked, she saw the name in the newspaper mm-hmm. and she thought that was a nice name mm-hmm. and uh, she was pregnant, I think, at the mm-hmm. time and so there I am, Lynn. It wasn't Vera Lynn she named you after? Oh, 
Mm. I think my mother wasn't a virulent fan. No. I'm not sure about that. Not my sure. mother's got very definite tastes in music. She, right. You know, there's some of the sort of popular people that mm. we think of being her age. Mm. She loves. Some of them she doesn't like at all. Oh, right. So, and, you well, know. she knows her mind. 95, you've got a right to know your mind. Well, she does know her mind. Yeah, she certainly does. does. And she's still got a very good functioning mind, I have to say. Well, that's excellent. Now, just to put people in context, mm. I, know I shouldn't ask you this, but... I can't help mm. myself. What year were you born? <laughs> oh, I was born in 1946. 46? Yeah. We've had people in the studio born in the 80s. It's extraordinary, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. The wide age range of radical activists. Just extraordinary, really. Yeah. It's good to well, see they that. They come in all ages, I presume. Yeah, yeah. sizes, shapes, colours, nationalities, religions, yeah. lack of religion. Yeah, and it's, they've been coming forever as well. Yeah. So what's your earliest memory? My earliest memory. Mm. I think it was, um, I used to live in Northgate and we used to walk um, to Alfington to visit an aunt. And I sort of have a memory of walking along and my sister was in a pram. My sister's two and a half years younger than me, so uh, I think she was probably pretty new. Mm -hmm. And a dog followed us. And it was a beautiful collie dog. I still remember the dog. And it followed us, and my parents started chewing it away, but it insisted to follow us. Mm. And I was like, oh, can we have that dog? Can that dog be ours? And when we got to my auntie's, um, my parents said if the dog was still waiting when we came out, we could have it. But it wasn't. It wasn't. Oh, <laughs> they must have shooted it away. I'm sure Dad would have uh, gone outside and shooted it away. Maybe, do you think? Though. Possibly. I don't know. Possibly, possibly, yeah. Possibly. We did yeah. have a sad, because we did then get a dog. We got a fox terrier, mm. which was called Kip. Mm. And then Kip disappeared miraculously. Mm. And I heard, I was told that Kip ran away. And I was, you know, maybe in my 40s when. I was told, oh, no, that isn't really what happened. <laughs> we took Kip to the vet because he was chasing. It was a reasonably busy road. He was chasing mm. cars and he, we thought he might cause an accident and mm. we tried everything to keep him in the backyard, yeah. but we couldn't. And, you know, after all those years, I cried yeah. when they told me yeah, that, Kip, that yeah. they'd taken Kip to yeah. the vet. <laughs> it's like the kittens that used to keep disappearing from our house. Yeah. I found out later on Dad would put them in a sack and take them to the bush and let them out. <laughs> did, and did you get sad when you found that out? No, not particularly. No. No, I just I was, I was pleased to know they were still alive. Well, I suppose so. Necks, you know, and, I, well, I, I suppose when we think about it now yeah. with the things we should be sad about is all the native animals that they probably killed. Exactly, and we were responsible for it. <laughs> so Another one to the humans. I assume your dad's died, has he? He has, yeah. He died uh, about ten years ago. Could you tell us about your dad? Uh, my dad, okay. Um, I don't know where to start. If I suppose I'll start. He came, he was a migrant from England uh, at the age of four. And he came with his um, mother, because his father came from St Helens in Lancashire and was one of the first, he'd been a miner in Lancashire and he was one of the first people uh, to work at Yulorn, opened up the Yulorn open coal pit. And so he worked down there, and then this is before assisted passages, so he paid for my mother, my grandmother, and my father to come. Um, and then uh, when they came, it wasn't a happy situation. Apparently, my grandfather used to hit my grandmother, and so she left him and came up to Melbourne. There was quite a lot of 
to hooing and froing. It wasn't easy mm. in those days yeah. to leave and come to Melbourne as a single mother. Mm. Um, but her mother and two, she came from a big family and there were the two youngest children were girls. And so the two youngest girls and the mother, whose husband had just died in an industrial accident at Pilkington's Glass Factory. And so uh, they came out. And uh, so then my father was brought up, lived in Alfington, and he was brought up by his mother and his two aunts and his grandmother. Hmm. So what type of a man was he? <laughs> well, exactly. Um, he was an incredibly intelligent man. He was a very open-minded man. He was a very sensitive um he was a soft man, you know. He mm. was in the nicest way, I mean. I don't mean that yes, in any bad yes, way. I mean, yes. you know, he was a gentle... Um, uh, he was very opinionated as well. Um, and uh, so he, he, went to the, he went to the war, right. the Second World War. In the, in, he was in the Navy and he was wounded. Do you know what, what theatre he was involved in, or theatre of war? What? Yeah, New Guinea. In New Guinea, Yeah, yes. he, was in a, he was on a corvette, mm-hmm. and uh, they were they sailing around the islands in New Guinea doing what were called mopping-up operations. But one of the mopping-up operations wasn't quite so mopping-up, no, yes. and so they got shelled, mm-hmm. and he got... Um, so he was... Only him and his friend were on the deck, and his friend completely disappeared and right. was basically shattered all over my father. Mm-hmm. And my father got uh, shrapnel wounds. So then he went to a hospital in New Guinea. And um, and then he eventually got better sort of about the same time. He got released from the hospital around the same time as the war ended. Mm-hmm. Mm. And what type of work did he do after Okay. Well, after the war, because of the fact that he was... Before he went to the war, he left school at 14 and got a job in the Grosby Slipper Factory mm-hmm. in Collingwood. But after the war, um, because he'd been at war, you know, in that age of training, he went off to a, a, you know, to a training or, you know, to the repatriation office and they said to him, and he said, oh, someone told me, you know, that you'll help people train. And they said, oh, yes, you know, what do you want to be? And he, he looked at the factory and thought that the most exciting job would be draftsman. Right. So he said, I want to be a draftsman. And uh, they said, well, you'll have to do an IQ test. And so he did that. And then they said, no, you're much too intelligent to be a draftsman. (laughs) You should go to university. You can be anything you want. Mm -hmm. So he said, and, you know, you've got to, like, this is a a kid, you know, from the slums, really. This is how he would always describe himself, is I was a kid from the slums. And they asked me questions like that. I didn't know what to say. (laughs) So he said, oh, a doctor. Yes. And so they said, oh, no, uh, no, I, we think you should be a dentist. There's more money in that. Right. And so he said, oh, okay. <laughs> so he became a dentist. dentist. Oh, excellent. <laughs> right. was, he, was he in private practice? Or yeah, was, yeah, yeah, he was. Well, uh, no, no, not Northcote. We lived in Northcote while he studied. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was born sort of, you know, while he studied. Because yeah. um, him and my mother had met... Before he was wounded, in fact, they'd met in Sydney when he was in Sydney on some leave, mm-hmm. and she was in the army in Sydney. And um, so when he came back, then they got pregnant pretty quickly, as far as I can see, and that was me. Mm-hmm. You're the eldest. Yeah, then. I'm the eldest. Yeah. 
Um, so, sorry, I forget your question, Joe. No, that's no, all right. It's all right. No, look, this is what this is about. It's about rambling. I, I just no, think of yourself in a canoe and occasionally we just paddle, just put okay. you this way or that way. Okay. We'll, 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 we'll move okay. on to your mum. What, what type of person okay. is she? Um, all right, my mum. She's sort of very different to my father. She came from country New South Wales. Uh, her father was a baker and they lived in a few country towns but sort of ended up in Mudgee. Mm-hmm. So most of her references are Mudgee. And um, and I remember, you know, my grandparents were in Mudgee at the bakery when I was a little tacker. I remember going to Mudgee and hanging around in the bakery. Um, and so she's got that sort of uh, country, um, very, you know, um, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. I'm trying to be oh, gentle. Jesus, she's, she's, she's. She, realistic well, she's, and unemotional and realistic about things? Or? Yeah, she's not very emotional. No, yeah, uh, yeah. And she's realistic, yes. And But she's she's also got a very strong sense of what's right and what's proper. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and, and, and again, you know, yeah. in, in a way that I sometimes find quaint, mm. um, but also it's good things. Mm. You know, she doesn't... Yeah. She, she's a, she, well, she's not a bad person. No, she's no. not at all. She's exactly. very um, sensitive and... Mm. She has a, I suppose she would say something like, you know, I, I always feel for the underdog. Mm-hmm. She would say something like that. So, what was like life like for a little girl in Northcote? Um, I think it was pretty nice. We lived mm-hmm. in a, a nice little house, and uh, you know, um, a little Edwardian house. I didn't know that then at the time, of course. But now, property in in Northcote mm-hmm. is such that we all know what, when all these houses were built. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, we were very poor because my father was at university and they did, you know, help him through university, mm. but it was an absolute pittance. And mm. so, you know, that my sister came along a couple of years after me. So there were two of us um, mm. and my father on as some sort of, you know, student. Scholarship, stu- yeah. yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Um, and, and uh, but, you know, life was pretty nice and, and I went, did my started my first school. Mm. I didn't like school when and I first where, went. Where, where I went to go? Westgarth Primary. Right, yep. I yep. didn't like that. Still there? Uh, it is still, still there. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, it is still there. Yeah, I know. I, 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 <laughs> and I lived in, I don't anymore, but I did live in Northgate, you know, as an mm. adult for years, and mm. I always used to go and vote at Westgarth Primary. Yeah. It was always very sentimental, little did you? Well, what, what, <laughs> what did you remember as you voted? Did you see yourself skipping around? Or? Yeah, we used to, yeah, we did, used to, we did, we did, used to do Skippy, we used to do Hopscotch. And also we used to read. We used to read lots. We used to bring books from home mm-hmm. and the teacher would read our books. Mm-hmm. And I do remember one enormous injustice, which was that I bought a book one day and then I'd done something the teacher thought was wrong, which I have no idea what it was. But I, if you did something wrong, you had to stand in the corner, looking into the corner. Mm-hmm. And I had to do did that while she was... On? Oh, no, she didn't. A, a dance hat, did you really? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We used to have a little hat we had to put on. <laughs> oh, I don't. While we looked in the corner, yes. I wonder. Hey, hey, I wonder. I don't yeah. think so. No, no. But All anyway, right. I certainly remember the injustice of she was reading my book. Your book. My book. Yeah. And I was stood in the corner. Do you know what the book was called? <laughs> no. No, no, I don't. But Just I sort the of have, a, I have a bit of a vision of yellow and red where no, it's colours. No, no. Are there any particular teachers at primary school that stood out? As far as you were concerned, well, when I was um, when I was um, 
2007, we moved to New South Wales to a small country town called Blaney. Mm-hmm. Where, where and that's that? when where's my that? father, that? that's that? between Bathurst and Orange, right. about 150 miles west of Sydney. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's where my father got a practice when he graduated. Um, and so we went and lived there and he was the local, de- you know, he was the dentist of the one dentist in the town. And um, yes, uh, there were... There was a teacher there called Mr. Quinn. Um, he was very good. I, I have very good memories of him. I have very good memories of that school, actually. Good. I liked school. It must have taken me a while to get used to it, I think. Mm. Were you good at school? Yeah, quite good. What type of subjects did you enjoy in primary school? Well, I used to really like maths. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's strange. Pro- I know, I know, especially for a girl. Girl, yes, in those, um, those days. Yeah. yeah. And Not to be encouraged. But I just, it was about the puzzle, you know. I liked, and I still like puzzles. And so maths just was like a puzzle. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, I, I learnt piano, not at school, but uh, separately. And I loved piano. Mm. I played lo- I played the piano lots. How far did you go with the piano? Um, oh, I don't know, grade six. So if we had a piano in the corner, could you knock out a tune for us? Yeah, I could play you some Beethoven. Really? Mm. <laughs> not very well. well. Not no, very well, I would have to yeah, say. I remember at this all those point, years later. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Over 50 years later, you'd still be able to knock it out. Yeah, well, I, but I've played pretty. Mm. And I haven't played continuously, but I've, you know, that's mm. I didn't sort of stop there and that was right. the end of it. But right. that's it, that was the end of the formal training. Right. And that was sad. I think that was sad. That was because in Blaney, Blaney, in those days in New South Wales, they had intermediate high schools and high schools. And the intermediate high schools only went to third. Year, I think they called it, which Third would form, be, yeah. which would what be now year nine or year something. Nine, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so the bright kids got sent up to Orange High. That mm. every year three kids would go to Orange High, and the rest what would be chucked out of the school. The re- well, the rest of, well, you w- you went to Orange High after primary school. Mm. Mm. So when the, when the rest got to third year, they either left or mm. they then came on to Orange High. Right. Mostly they just left school. Cool. Um, anyway, so I was sent up to Orange High. And uh, uh, no, I forgot why I even talked about Orange High. Um, why then? Didn't you like it? Did I like Orange High? Yeah. Oh, piano. I was talking yeah, about piano. Yeah, yeah. And when I got to Orange High, um, uh, I was playing classical piano and I started to be exposed to pop songs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is um, the 50s, so it was like Johnny O'Keefe and uh, Elvis Presley. and mm-hmm. um, The devil's music. Yes, exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly, music. exactly. And do you remember the wonderful Fabian at yes, all? Yes, yes, the wonderful uh, Fabian. I was in love with Fabian. <laughs> I thought Fabian was divine. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, and and I wanted, and there were some kids at Orange High School because going up to Orange High School was, you know, like going into the big world mm. from did, little did tiny Blaney. Did you go in? A no, I used to go on a bus, bus every day. day. Right. We used to go on a bus every morning. Mm. That uh, left Blaney at something like seven o'clock in the morning, and it stopped a, f- a few times along the way. It was about an hour's journey. It would get us to eight o'clock at, there at eight o'clock when school didn't start till nine, so it could go and do another, you know, pick up. Pick up. Yeah. And so we had to hang around the school grounds for an hour, mm. and in the winter in those parts of New South Wales, it's absolutely freezing, and I don't think any any buildings opened until you know. 20 to 9 or something. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I remember being freezing in the mornings. But I gave up the piano because I said to, I was I learnt piano from the nuns and I said to them I I want to play pop songs. What? 
I know, that's exactly what, did you what say? they could said. You, could you they did. That? That's exactly right, Joe. Exactly. They said, and they said, oh no, they said, you're much too talented to play pop, pop songs. songs. Exactly. And so. They were right. Well, what a shame. <laughs> yeah. Because then I just stopped playing the piano. What? Is it an act of defiance or what? I don't remember it as an act of defiance. I think I just. I'd lost interest. I didn't want to play classical music at that particular moment in my life. It mm-hmm. had stopped interesting me. Mm-hmm. I was interested in pop songs. Mm-hmm. So did you finish high school? Yeah, but I did that in London. Excuse me. Hang on, hang on. I oh, know. Here you are. <laughs> Blamey. Orange. Yeah. How do yeah. we go from that Orange well, to London? What happened? Transition. What happened? My father, fa- yeah. yeah, he decided... My father had been born in England and mm. Uh, mm. was a dentist. Didn't like really being in private practice. And in yeah. England there was a national health scheme. Yes. And so he sort of thought that he'd like to go to England and see, you know... Uh, it was a combination of wanting to check out... I, was, I don't know exactly, no, he but he drove it. You know, he wanted I think, I think to go. he was sick of being paid in rabbits, skinned rabbits. Well, he probably was. Well, he probably That's the way it used to be. People couldn't afford a dentist. No, that's, that's true. They couldn't so afford very, a dentist. It was very hard know. for people that's, in private practice. Yeah, it was. And, mm. and also in Blaney, when we got there, mm. there was an abattoir, mm. but the abattoir closed down, and so half the town left. Mm. So the, the dentist was, you know... <laughs> So that there was you, your mum, yeah. your sister, anybody else? No, anybody just, else? No, just the four, the four of, of us, yeah. all turned up in London. Yeah, we got on a boat and yeah. we sailed yeah. across what the was, seas. What was the boat like? Fabulous. How old were you, about 14, 15? 13. 13. It was fabulous. Yeah. It was one of the most fabulous times in my life. Right. Right. I think in part because at the age of 13, mm. once I was on the boat, I was completely free of my parents. Mm-hmm. Um because it's a sort of closed environment, there were about you know half a dozen other kids around my age, yeah. and we just ran amok. Yeah. And we had a fabulous yeah. time. Oh, excellent. <laughs> was that about six to eight weeks or those days? Yeah, six weeks. Six weeks. Yeah. 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 Did you remember any of the ports you called into? Oh yeah, God, oh, that's etched on my memory, Joe. They are really them. significant things. Well, I'll tell you, the first one was Perth. I'd never been to Perth. That was exciting enough. But I won't go there because everybody's been to Perth now. We all know that what yes. Perth's like. But the first one after that was Colombo. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm a kid from Orange, you know, from Blaney in the Western Districts of New South Wales, surrounded by sheep and, mm-hmm. you know, stories of bushrangers. And suddenly I'm in Colombo. And um, it was just incredible. I don't know what to say. It was just so incredibly exotic Mm -hmm. everything looked exotic and I remember some funny things you know one of the things I remember really clearly is that people had bare feet and they had enormous big um you know crusts of skin on their feet Mm. and somehow I thought that was quite magic that their own skin had made them shoes Right. And, (laughs) (laughs) uh, and and um and you know we we didn't do anything adventurous in a sense. We no. we were we so were there for a there. day and a half, and yeah, we went yeah. on a tour yeah. in a, you know yeah. in a taxi. Yeah. We hired a taxi that took us on a tour, and interestingly, it took us to a whole lot of temples. Um, but but there's one temple that he wouldn't take us into. He took us to the outside. So there were, and I can't remember what that was, and it mm. really annoys me now. I want to know. Yeah. So I think I went to the Hindu temple and the Buddhist temple. Mm. Um, it wasn't a mosque. Well, I think it probably was a mosque, mosque that he yeah. wouldn't take us into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I think when I look back, but it, mm. I would be happy to know. Yeah. Anyway. And did you – any other stops? Did you stop in the Yeah, Chilis? stopped in Bombay. Bombay. Um, oh, you know, now Mumbai, that was extraordinary. That was mm. just really extraordinary. Mm. So we were there too and pretty much the same. You yeah. know, we did our little yeah. – we did our tour around Bombay and that mm. was fabulous. Um, 
Then Suez. Uh, well, no, then Aden. Aden. Yeah. Oh. Do you know where Aden is now? I keep wondering this. It's in. Um, is it Dubai now? No, no, no. Aden is. Um, 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 where's that place where they've got the where they have a military coup just now? The the prime minister has just been chucked out. It's supposed to be a terrorist hot point across the road from Somalia. Come on, come on, yeah. Empress. No, sorry, oh, I'm, I'm look, having a uh, break we're, too. Per- we're pathetic today, aren't we? Can't even remember. No, I no. can see it right on the horn of Africa. Yeah. There, you come round Aden, and it used to be split into two countries, then they unified. It's um, okay. Yeah, a lot of mud brick buildings, if yeah. I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Aden mm. was Aden mm. was different again, and then mm. we went through Suez. We mm. went through the Suez Canal, um, and we got off at. Uh, I can't remember now. Do you get off at Port, at Port eight, Said? You, Port get, Said? you get off at Port Said and then back on at Suez or vice versa? Oh, I'm not sure. I it's, it's so long vi- ago. I think it's vice versa. One yeah. or the other. So yeah. this is so exciting for yeah. a kid. So we oh, get 13. off the boat yeah. in Egypt. Yeah. Uh, we go on a little tour to somewhere mm. where we get on camels mm. and we ride through the desert on the camels to the Ra- pyramids. Pir- oh, magic. And, then, and the <laughs> Sphinx. And I remember the <laughs> Sphinx so clearly. It, I think I'd never heard of the Sphinx. I right. knew the pyramids. I think I'd never knew about the Sphinx. But so, so somehow the Sphinx was like this magic, massive magic thing. And mm. then the pyramids. And then um, we went to into Cairo and to the museum at Cairo. Uh, and then for dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, where we had really, I really liked the the Egyptian food. Except after dinner, they had some lovely oranges on a plate, and I thought, oh, how lovely an orange would be lovely. And I cut the orange open, and it was all red inside. <laughs> I was nearly never nearly sick. I had never seen <laughs> a red blood orange, orange before. <laughs> I was nearly sick. It was like, oh, what's wrong with that orange? <laughs> So, anyway, these are just travellers, you know, yeah, the, no, the a, tales of naive travellers. It's amazing how what, <laughs> 50 years later, over 50 years later, there's still ingrained memories. Oh, no, they're yeah. certainly funny, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah, funny. Yeah, ingrained yeah, memories, yeah. extraordinary. Yeah. Mm. Um, so so then Marseille was our next Marseille, stop. Marseille, yeah. So, mm-hmm. so there you go. And then we went to London. Um, mm. We went to Tilbury. Tilbury. And some dentist um, friends of my dad picked us up and... Mm. Um, and then my fa- we went. We, st- we were staying somewhere in Baker Street, and my father got ill. Um, he had a bit of a mysterious illness. I think it was probably just nerves. I think right. suddenly we're there, and he's petrified. He's dragged his family all this way, right. yeah. and now he's got to set himself up in a That's right. with he's a run job out of money. You had a, a lovely, lo- yeah. lovely trip paid for the yeah. fares, did the yeah. taxi trips yeah. through the sites. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, "Oops, there's nothing left in the larder." Oh no! So anyway, he got sick, and yeah. so we were in this. Um, it was a sort of little apartment thing in Baker Street. And we called a doctor, or someone called a doctor for mm. us, mm. and the doctor arrived, and this is another traveller's memory, the doctor mm. arrived in a grey morning suit with a top hat mm-hmm. and, you know, the vest and all that stuff. You <laughs> I know. like it. And, I like and this is in 1960. Yes. This is 1960. Yes. And they still wore those sorts of clothes in mm. London in, mm. the, in 1960 and the streets were full of people in bowler hats and mm. grey. You know. pick up your game, Joe. Yeah, yeah, I should, well, yeah, well, well, I have to, yeah, I have to. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, and yeah. coming from Orange High School. You were, you were, well, obviously you gave him the respect he deserved as he walked in doctor, in that, in that top I hat. I know. Yeah, your incredible. father should have been a doctor, not a dentist. Well, he, <laughs> <laughs> So he should have, so he should have. Right, so did he get, did he get to work eventually? Yeah, he did. He um, ended up, he did a couple of jobs for other dentists, but then he ended up going into partnership with another Australian and they bought a practice in Kilburn High Road. Mm-hmm. And um, 
and that was pretty good. And um, I worked there on like Saturdays so fin- as a oh, nurse, Saturday. as a dental nurse. Yeah, so on what, Saturdays. Did you go to school then? I did. Where did you go to school? Well, that this is really interesting. I think this is incredibly everything is interesting. Form. You've told us, Lynn. Everything, <laughs> including the way you spell your name. Okay. So anyway, so when we first got there, I was 13, and in England at the time there was the 11 plus, and so Mm -hmm. you had to take a, basically as far as I can see, it was an IQ test Mm -hmm. um, and a bit of an aptitude test maybe, and if you passed or got above a certain mark, you went to a grammar school, and if Mm -hmm. you didn't, then you went to a secondary modern school. And so I arrived from Australia, from Orange High School, Mm -hmm. and they said you have to do, to go to a grammar school, you have to do a test in English, French and maths. So English and maths were no worries, but French, I was doing French at Orange High School, but Orange High School French wasn't quite the mm. right standard for London. <laughs> <laughs> la plume de ma tante <laughs> est sous la table. Yeah, well, very good, because I don't know that I could have managed that job. <laughs> and I'd been very, I'd been a very naughty uh, student at Orange. I uh, used to think that it was, you know, a bit of a badge of honour to yeah. get sent out of the class, yeah, and yeah. French was my favourite class to get sent so, out of. Yeah, yeah. So... So what happened? Well, did, so I did, went did to a secondary modern. So yeah. I went yeah. to a secondary modern. I was happy enough there. Yeah. But after, I don't know, a year or two, I forget how much it was, probably somewhere between those, mm. my parents despaired a bit mm. and they went, no, this is not we had, not what we had in mind for our precious Lynn. Mm. <laughs> so they... Two ends. So then we investigated um, private schools. Uh-huh. And so... And it was still very snobby in England at the time. And, and so the lesser private schools thought it would be beneath them to accept Australian colonials. I can understand that, yes. Well, exactly, you know, <laughs> and convent stock, convict exactly, stock exactly. and all the that. The stain, you know. the stain. The stain, that's right. The so, stain on our soul. So this is really yeah. true. And I remember going for an interview at one of those and, and she said something to me and I said, OK, and she yelled at me, you know, don't you use that disgusting slang here. I said, like, OK. <laughs> Beaton, <laughs> exactly Beaton. Anyway, so that, so what the result of that was that the only school, well, not the only school, but but we were accepted by a very very posh school, mm-hmm. oh, and they, so they, I they, went they, they to a very very posh for them school. It was- Colour of money that counted. Well, it's true. Yeah. Well, it's. I mean, they weren't bothered mm. about, you know, yeah. they, 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 their status couldn't be stained by no. a couple of colonials. They already had a couple of Canadians. Yes. And, and they That's had actually, enough, they yeah. even had a couple of, a couple actually, of yeah. African princesses they had. Yeah, yeah. Well, you actually increased the <laughs> IQ of the school, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> the Australian contingent. Yeah. So I went there. So there was another eye opener, um, you know. How long were you go, there for? Oh, I was there for four years. So you left The last four what, years 17? of my... Um, probably 18. 18. Because you did, in those days, you did A-levels in England, so yes. I did A-levels. Yeah. It's 4.31. This is Radical Australian Community Radio, 3CR, streaming live. I haven't talked live. for half an hour. Uh, yes, <laughs> streaming live on 3cr.org.au. We're interviewing Lynn Twins Beaton. Most of you will know Lynn. Some of you won't. But I'm sure she's telling you things you never knew about her. I'm sure I am. <laughs> <laughs> so, here you are, 18, 19, leaving school in the mid-60s in London, Carnaby Street. Tell us about it. Well, you know, it was fabulous. Um, And, of course, at the time I just thought it was everybody's life, but now I know it was my life and I was very, very lucky. Um, uh, We, I don't know, I mean, it it was what it was and, and you've all seen, you know, documentaries and movies and pictures and all of the stuff about it and it was like that and I lived in it and um, 
my life in it. I suppose your own life is always a bit different from the sort of media that you see. So my life, um, before I left school, I used to go, because it was all going on around us while mm. we were at mm. school. I mm. remember the first time I ever heard the Beatles um, was in the gym at school at lunchtime one day. Someone came up and said, hey, you've got to come down, you've <laughs> got to come down to the gym. <laughs> and so he came down to the gym and... Yeah. and um, I don't think we were allowed to play records in the gym, but mm. anyway, we we listened to the Beatles and we all went, oh, <laughs> oh my god! So, um, but I subsequently, I was never a great. I did go and see the Beatles mm. the first time they performed in London, but I but I was never a great Beatles fan, really. Mm. Um, well, tell us about the first time they performed in London. You were at that concert. I think so. Tell yes. us about it. Um, it was back in the days when they had their moppy hair, mm-hmm. and they used to wear brown. I think brown sort of mm. trousers, and mm. they had t-shirts. They looked a bit like the Wiggles, really. Yes. <laughs> they had, they had, you know, t-shirts of different yes. colours. I yeah. think, if yeah. I remember, yeah. and uh, and they would sort of stand up there, and they would, you know, do their head yeah. shaking, yeah. And, and 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 um, everybody screamed. Yeah, you know, girls it. screamed. Girls screamed. I screamed. Uh, there's this mass hysteria. I don't know how many other people have been in this mass hysteria scream thing, but yeah. I, I was in it many mm. times mm. after that. Mm. Um, Is it true? They I'd, been, I'd actually been in it and seen Johnny O'Keefe in Sydney before mm. I'd even gone to England. So you knew. I'd screamed scream. for Johnny. That's yeah, right. Everybody <laughs> screamed for Johnny. Yeah, yeah. So what were you doing to make a living during this period? Uh, Can we ask? No, I was... I was dependent on my dad. Right, right. So I was still at school. So yeah. I was—I didn't leave school till I suppose I was maybe eighteen, mm-hmm. um, and then two years. Uh, then so then I refused to go to university, mm-hmm. um, and said no. I don't. Well, I was in London, yeah. and you know, why I, would you want to go to university? Well, they wanted me to go to Leicester University yeah. and study yeah. zoology. That was my—that was to be my you know chosen field. I was—I'd done. Uh, Physic, um, oh, botany, and zoology. You made a mistake becoming a dentist. I don't want to make the same mistake. Well, <laughs> I just didn't want to go out of yeah. London. Yeah. I was, you know, I was loving mm. London. Too so, how much. long did you stay in London for? Until I was twenty, 20. well, nineteen. And then what happened? So, only a little while after that, we came back. Came they back. came back. My parents decided to come back. My parents weren't happy. Mm. They weren't happy with mine and my sister's lives. Right. We were busy being London teenagers Just, and yeah. into the, you know, in a big way, into all the stuff mm, that mm. was going on. And I think my parents were a bit worried about that and they thought, mm. anyway, I think they, I, I just think probably from them, they'd been there long enough. Yeah, they, you didn't go back to Blaney then? No, we came back to Melbourne. Oh, <laughs> that's a relief. So what did well, you do? Well, coming to, back to Melbourne yeah. probably wasn't that much different from going back to the Blaney, the you know, 60s, Joe. Yeah. In, it was bloody like coming from 1966, yeah. I left London, yes. and it's like I arrived in Melbourne in 1956. Yeah, yeah. It so, was, the difference was massive. I arrived back in Melbourne the year that Gene Shrimpton came mm-hmm. to the Flemington um, Race course, in yes. a miniskirt, I and remember she, those times. and everybody was disgusted because yeah. she... Oh, no, no. No, us young boys weren't. <laughs> I you, we weren't disgusted. We were hoping that it would come to Australia. Well, I, w- I got a job when I came here and um, I was called into the big boss's office. Mm. Uh, it was TAA. Yep. It wasn't a little company, mm. but I was called into the big boss's office um, who told me that there had been complaints about my clothes because really? I used to wear miniskirts and knee-length white boots mm-hmm. and lots and lots of silver jewellery. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they... And, and <laughs> I used to think I was pretty cool, but they <laughs> didn't. Great. So they complained about my clothes. Yes. 
and and but the, he was quite nice because he said you you're lucky he said because I've just read a Time magazine article on swinging London and I know that's where you've just come from and so I can see that you are part of that culture but here it's a bit different. <laughs> Really, it's um, sweet. It's sweet. Well, it's it's yeah. a different reaction to what you kind of expect from that uh, period. Yeah, he was. He was quite nice about uh, it. But um, so so when did when did you start hanging out with these radical types? Okay, so um, I, I, in London, I did uh, two things in London. There was the Vietnam War had happened, mm-hmm. and I went on a couple of anti-Vietnam marches, but really naively, really just like oh, someone would say, you know, you. Do you believe in little children getting killed in Vietnam? Mm. Oh, no, I'd say and go if on a march. Yes. And then, um, but then also the other big thing I think for me that happened in London, and I mean, it could have happened anywhere, but it was folk music, really, Mm. because I had not, my parents didn't have, you know, Mm. real politics. I mean, and so I listened to Bob Dylan, Joan Byers, and Buffy St. Marie in Mm -hmm. particular, those three, and I just learnt that the world was. You know, not the oyster that I'd grown up in, really. Right, <laughs> and, yes. Uh, but I think, you know, also, though, because I'd moved around and been in city and country and then London and been, you know, sort of discriminated against for being a colonial, at, yes. you know, in London, which was all sort of not big on the on the range of discrimination and, you know, mm, things mm. to complain about. It was all pretty precious. Mm. But at the same time, it had given me some, you know, it had given me – and I was a woman, of course. Right. I was a girl. And mm. I was a girl who was brainy mm. and wanted my opinions to be listened to. And very often I'd just be shut down because I'd, I would wonder, why didn't anybody listen to me? Mm. I mean, it took me until – quite a bit later mm. uh, and the women's movement to suddenly start going oh it's just because you're a woman they <laughs> shut you down <laughs> so when did you contact uh, radical elements in melbourne uh so i came back to melbourne and the vietnam war mm. and um i joined uh, i sort of met people who mm. were opposed to the war what through the folk scene or um not actually through work. I actually was working at TAA, and mm. through work I met some people. Um, the folk scene, the folk scene wasn't in Melbourne at the time. wasn't really very political, actually. No, it wasn't. That's I right. did used to go mm. to Frank Trainers and mm. and was it Tomping Thumbs and mm. stuff like that to the mm. folk clubs. In fact, I even became a bit of a singer at, at, for a little while in mm. Melbourne and did, but mostly it was. Um, I mean, it was sort of political in the sense that. There would be song. Well, the Australiana stuff would be songs yep, about Shearers yep. and yeah, yeah, you know yeah. those sort that sort of stuff. And mm. uh, there would be political songs, um, mm. which I would like, but it wasn't a political scene. I wouldn't mm. say so. For me, the po- politics really started when I decided that I needed to do something about the Vietnam War, and so I and by then I was actually married, mm-hmm. and so my husband and I decided together that we would join mm. our local branch of the Labor Party. Right. And we were Which living, branch was that? That was Croydon, the Croydon mm. branch of the Labor Party. We were living up in the hills. That is the hills in those days. It was the hills in those <laughs> days. It certainly was. Well, how did you commute all the way to Melbourne? To... Well, well. Um, That's a long way. I know. Today. No, well, we did. Well, we basically did. We mm. had a Mini Cooper S. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we used to swim along in our Everybody little, had in a our, Mini Cooper S. In our little Mini Cooper <laughs> and we'd come into town and yeah. we'd go back home. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we commuted. And mm. we did massive commuting once we became really politically active. Mm. Um, so, uh, but the process was that we we were lucky, I think, that the Labor Party uh, that we joined, the Labor Party branch, being 
Croydon and therefore being the hills, there was yeah. all these sort of lefty, very lefty, you know, ex-coms, mm. trots, yeah. all sorts of people who yeah. uh, were in that branch. Mm. And so they were great influence and great mentors and um, yeah, just fabulous teachers. And they, and for me, they um, helped me enormously as well by sending me as the delegate of the Croydon branch uh, to the moratorium, the committee that was actually organising the first moratorium. moratorium. Mm-hmm. And so that was the best learning that was the best learning place that anyone could ever go to because every political stream was there. Yeah. Um, you know, all the churches as well, the, all the churches that were involved in peace stuff were there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then across the range, you know, right-wing Labor, left-wing Labor, Communist Party, um, and a whole range of Communist Parties. Um, mm-hmm. And so I went there with very little preconception, really. Mm-hmm. So I was just pretty open-eyed and open to everything. Except I pretty quickly worked out who I, who I respected and who I didn't. No, I didn't. Yeah, it doesn't take long, does it? <laughs> <laughs> well, you see the machinations behind those things. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and so the other thing that was happening was that um, one of the people that I'd met, she wasn't a member of the Labor Party, but I'd met her through these sort of Labor Party lefty people, um, was a woman called, a great, a great woman who's, you know, been dead now for many years because she would have been 80 when I met her but she was called Mary Campbell and she was a trot and she'd actually been driven out of the Communist Party um, in really nasty ways and ha- had you know all these memories and so she um, so she gave me sort of you know another view mm-hmm. you know if you like and there was a man I don't know if um, well you will all know Chris Gaffney, who mm. is, is, does the Labor College here, yeah. show. So the original Labor College was set up by a man called Ted Tripp, who was a trot, and I went to Ted Tripp classes. Mm. And at the same time that I was going to Ted Tripp classes, I was going to the moratorium committees. Mm. And at the moratorium committees, I was – because there was no Trotskyists to speak of in Melbourne at the time, so I was very attracted to the Maoists from mm. Monash. Yes. And so I and Jerry, my partner, was at Monash – um, so we joined the WSA. In fact, we set up a branch, of a Hills branch of the WSA, WSA, which met in our house. Right. Yeah. It was very common in those days yes. to meet in houses. Yeah. Was it, wasn't it? Oh, yes. We all did it. Yes. We all did it. Nothing to be ashamed of. It's um, like the early Christians, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in many ways. Yeah, I suppose it is it in is, many yeah, ways. That's, that's the way things get started. But then, you know, mm. and we did... Um, well, we did all the things that were happening at the time. You know, mm. there was the anti-Vietnam moratorium, then there was the um, African football team, South yes. African football team. Mm. Um, we took really fabulous bombs to that. We, we we had a one of, you know, one of our members was from Monash and he was a chemistry student and mm. he made these fabulous bombs in Coke tins, mm. put in upside down so the Coke tin at the top just looked, you know, perfect. Yes. And we got through all the... Security, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, and all the, you know, July 4th, all of those demonstrations we went on and um, got roughed up. Oh, I'm a terrible physical coward. I learnt pretty quickly. So as soon as the police would move in, I'd move out. Yes. <laughs> Very commendable. Well, I You know just, what they say, there's no point in being a martyr. Well, you know, <laughs> I, I used to be a bit ashamed of myself in a way. But no, no, oh, no. I no. never got arrested and I never got thumped because I would just, you know, yeah. make myself... Mm. So one time I nearly thumped, I nearly did thump some police because mm. um, it was late Sunday afternoon. Mm. And it was, and we were outside the American Embassy, which in those days was in Collins Street. And um, that I was sort of hidden in a doorway, and but I had a flagpole, 
and two coppers picked up this very slight young guy and chucked him across the top of a car. So his body bounced along the top of the mm. car and then mm. down onto the bonnet yes. and then down onto mm. the ground and then they moved in to start kicking him. Yeah. And I had my flagpole and I ran out of my hiding place with my flagpole raised high about to w- mm. w- you know, whack these coppers on the mm. head with my flagpole. And then I, I lost all courage and I just went, no, don't do that, Lynn. And I went back <laughs> into my – I have to confess. So. Oh, that's all right. As long as you survive. But people don't understand how physical those confrontations were in those days because the police were uh, – an arm of the state, end of story. Very physical confrontations. Oh, very physical confrontations. And in fact, after yeah. that, we, um, mm. after that we were, when it had apparently broken up and mm. we were walking up towards the Treasury Gardens, mm. which is somewhere mm. where the car was parked, and a guy who was with us, seemingly with us, one of us, not someone that we knew, mm. but seemingly yes. with us. He had jeans yeah. and T-shirt. Yes. He looked like one of us. We yeah. thought he was one of us. And he suddenly pulled a truncheon from out of his jeans yeah. and stepped back and waved his truncheon and said, right, oh, you think you're so strong, you can take me on. Yeah. And then yeah. a couple of plainclothes coppers joined him. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and then they started chasing us. And That's we right. ran. And you know that there's a lane up behind the Windsor Hotel? Yep. So yep. we ran up there. Yeah. And there was these massive explosions, and I thought, "Oh shit, they're shooting at us!" Because this is not that long after the Kent Street, uni- uh, Kent Street, Street yeah. uh, sorry, 70, Kent University, University seventy one, and anyway, so I was sure they were shooting at us. But in fact, they were chucking beer bottles. There were beer bottles at at the back of the Windsor Hotel, mm, and they mm. were chucking the beer bottles, and they were sort of exploding on the mm. stones on yeah, the ground. Yeah. So anyway, um, my political then. Uh, so I so I was part of the WSA, very eager, very willing. Mm. But I was also going to TED trip classes, and so I was becoming a little disillusioned with what I will now call, and probably then would have called too. There's a certain level of simplicity about Maoist politics. Um, that's why they got the little red book. <laughs> well, that's right. Well, that's if you can't put it on a page, it that's doesn't right. matter. That's, that's right. That's right. That's it. So 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 so, and then. And then, um, so we, I started raising questions. Other people around the place were raising questions. There was a, there were sort of groups of people who were yeah. saying, "Well, isn't, there's not just Maoism, you know, and there's not just not just the Communist Party, because yes. none of us considered the Communist Party was a serious contender. Yeah. It was way beyond its time, yeah. and um, and really played a yeah. role of, of alliance with right wing Labour. Mm-hmm. And so. Um, and so gradually, I started, you know, f- thinking that Trotskyism had a lot to offer, and uh, and and at a, you know, U.S. imperialism was the number one enemy. Then um, Nixon went and visited China, China and yeah. all of a sudden, Japanese militarism was the number, number one enemy. One enemy. And so I started asking people, just really, could you someone just explain me why we've What's changed happened? our number one enemy <laughs> and tell me that it's not to do with the fact that Nixon just visited China? Of course, nobody could tell me, and so mm. that was it. That was so. Our whole branch, um, um, I can't remember whether we were expelled or we seceded. But no, I think we, you would have been expelled. I think we were expelled. In, I was certainly expelled. Exactly. I was certainly You've expelled. You've got to be expelled. I was expelled. Yeah. I remember when I went for my expulsion to the head office, mm, um, mm, I was pregnant. Mm, mm. And uh, I, I'll never forget, they sort of offered me a seat. <laughs> Which just seemed all wrong, you know. That, that they they were they were still well. Yeah. Shall I say, you know, they they still yeah. thought that a pregnant woman should have a seat, yes. um, even though they were about to expel her. Yes. Uh, I saw Albert. Well, Langer. A, conde- a, a condemned man gets the last meal. 
Well, there you go. Well, there you go. <laughs> so you deserve a seat. <laughs> I know. So I bumped into Albert Langer not yeah. long ago, you know, yeah. and yeah. I said to him something about the expulsion. He said, come on, Lynn, you were dying to get expelled. And in some ways he's not wrong. I mean, because mm-hmm. we, we had decided that we weren't going to live quietly, that we wanted our ideas, which we thought at the time were superior to their ideas, yeah, yeah. to get as much exposure as possible. Yeah, yeah. So... How many children have you had? Two. Two. And they, they, they still talk to their mum? Oh, God, yeah. They're oh, both, that's And good. they're both politically active. Um, oh, excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, so when did you first make contact with 3CR? Mm, all right. Um, I have been rabbiting on, haven't I? So No, no. I, 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 really, I can't remember that. I mean, I remember years, when... 20 years, 30 years? Oh, I remember when 3CR was set up. So 76. Remember. I remember going to the old, in Cromwell Street, 3CR. Cromwell Street, yep. yep. Um, so I, all my relationship with 3CR has pretty much been me being interviewed because I subsequently went on and did whole heaps of things through my whole life, which I haven't even begun to no, talk I'll about. Tell us about I? a few of them that are important to you. Oh, well, I worked um, at uh, a place called the Working Women's Centre mm-hmm. um, for five years uh, in Melbourne, and and the role of the Working Women's Centre was to work with women in unions, mm-hmm. uh, and it was at a time, you know, in the 70s when there was thousands of women joining the workforce in a way that they hadn't before, and so it was important for for unions to um, make room for them in a way, mm. be able to accommodate their needs. Mm. Um, and so, you know, our role was... And we actually were part of the ACTU, very reluctant on the ACTU's part. Um, they hated us, and, I mean, we didn't love them either, of course, but they... Anyway, we they gave us somewhere to be, mm. yeah. and they gave us access to the unions. And so I published a paper called Women at Work... Um, we had a ra- we had a three CR radio program called Women at Work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's one thing. Then when I left there, I went to England and just sort of because I was burnt out. I'd been there for five years. It was a massively massive job, mm-hmm. and so I went to England with my kids. And had um, you separated by now? Had you or? Uh, yeah, pa- perhaps. I'm mm-hmm. not sure. We no. separated and went back together again many times, actually. Mm-hmm. It was one of those relationships. Mm-hmm. A lot of us. Definitely separated now, but mm-hmm. was for a long time it was one of those sort of relationships. So but, and, but I do know that I did talk to um, Jerry about the kids and mm-hmm. said, I really want to go to England uh, mm-hmm. and take the kids with me for six months and um, then could I send them back for, and would you? And so he said, yes, he thought that was a good idea. So that's what we did. So when mm-hmm. the kids came back, I then... the my British 84, 85 minor strike was on. Mm-hmm. So I went uh, and um, and worked uh, in a pit village with the striking miners for the last six months of the strike, wrote a book about the strike called Shifting Horizons, mm-hmm. um, which was which is I've just turned into, because this is the 30th anniversary of the strike, so I've turned it into an e-book. Right. Um, so... Uh, that's available. Can I plug? That's available plug. online if you go to Lynn, L-Y-N-N, dash, you know, one of those under dash yes. things, mm. beaton, B-E-A-T-O-N, dot net, dot A-U. Mm. I think that's the right address. Anyway, if you, if, if you, you go you, there. How do you think your ideas have changed since the 60s? Oh, that's a great question. Um, well, can we make it not since the 60s, but since I became... Uh, since I was sort of an active Trotskyist, yes, yes, because um, because I think probably for you know most people around my age, in those days, we were very 
I suppose youth is always anyway, but we were very sure that we knew what we were doing and that we and that we were right and everyone else was wrong. Mm. Um, you know, and I put a lot of effort. I didn't just – I did that with a lot of effort. I read heaps and heaps and I argued heaps and heaps and I put a lot of effort into, you know, being sure I was right. But, <laughs> but, but what I now – when I now look back, I sort of think, well, I think the notion of being right, right. is probably the problem. Exactly, exactly, yeah. <laughs> So that so that's a massive change, really. Yes. That I don't think there is any longer right. I mean, mm. clearly, I think there is still wrong. Mm. There are some mm. things that are clearly wrong, mm. Mm. Um, but right, it's much more difficult. So you know, yeah. well, um, there is to, it's not just one strategy. <laughs> that's right. That's uh, the point, isn't it? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's that's exactly. That's what everybody. That's exactly. <laughs> I mean, look, I'm an anarchist. The same in the anarchist movement. You know, people think there is one strategy. We're all saddled with the cross of historical precedent, and that's one thing you learn as you get older. Yeah. What was right in the thirties is not right in twenty first century. I think that's yeah exactly, and yeah. and you know being a trot was I mean there was lots of things about being a trot which I think were fabulous, mm. which I still hang on to because yes. I think that was great lessons, mm. um, and I think you know I survived things like the ACTU and yes. stuff like that mm. with you know intact because mm. I under I had a political mm. and theoretical understanding of what the trade union bureaucracy was, how you could use it for your own advantages yes. and and mm. and how to not get swallowed up by it, mm. but. But um, but but I also think that it's just fantastic to see that now because because being a trot, we were so involved in being anti-Stalin, <laughs> and that's understandable for Trotsky, mm. who was leading the left opposition in yes. Russia against Stalin and yeah. trying to stop Stalin from destroying the world's communist movement. Mm. But it wasn't all right for us in the seventies, in the sixties and seventies. You mm. know that was crazy in mm. a way. Um, yeah. And also the sectarianism that then went on between trots. It was mm. just crazy. Yeah. And that still goes on. I still see that going on and, the, the, and I find old, it... The old analogy, you know, was it two trots, three factions? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And absolutely. And it was, yeah. you know. And 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 I think, you know, that's so... Mm. So in the last... But I have to say, I've been thinking this for a long time. In the last uh, probably 20 years of my life, my, a lot of my political activity has actually been trying to um, become involved with and form alliances of mm-hmm. like, you know, people yeah. with like well, minds. Very important. So you've got kind of a similar opinion to Bill Della before he died. That was his big thing well, about Bill and I Well, Bill mm. and I were very close comrades. Mm. Um, mm. I met Bill in about the mid-'80s, mm. and uh, after that we were always close comrades, yeah. Mm. And so, yes, I do. I have very similar views to Bill, yeah. Mm. Have you got any um, parting words to, say, younger radicals who are actually listening to this program? Oh, yes, I do. Um, I think that it's that theory is very, very important. I think that there is, you know... There is a whole um, history of of um, radical involvement, and I think it's really important to know it. I don't think you should do what some of us did, which is take, take, take bits of it and use them as dogma. On the other hand, I think it's really, really important to know it, uh, to look at the lessons, to take what take what less, what you can from it. And the other thing I think is really, really important is to not be sectarian, to find your areas of agreement and allow the areas of disagreement to sit. Mm. You know, I think... And, and in some ways, you know, I think the women's movement was brilliant at being able to be a, an embracing movement for all women. Um, and within the women's movement, there were all sorts of different women, but they didn't really see each other as a target. They all saw that the target was about liberating women. Mm-hmm. 
and and allowed for people to do it all in their different ways. And that's what I would like to see for the left as a whole, that everybody understands that, you know, there are many ways to do this and everybody will do what they think is the right way to do it. That's not to say there shouldn't be political argument. Mm. I think there should be political argument. I think if you see people doing something and you think it's wrong, you have an obligation almost to say to them, I think that if you do that, you know, you're risking mm. these. Mm. But I think those should be discussions, not um, not wars, mm. not reasons to never talk to them again. again exactly. <laughs> oh, that's ludicrous. Ludicrous. Yeah. yeah. So have you got any plans for the future for yourself? Um. That's a very funny question to ask me right now, Joe, because I've just, I thought I was going to retire, but I just actually took on a job uh, writing a history of the Ballarat Trades and Labor Council. For about the last 10 years, I've been writing histories of, um, mm-hmm. well, I wrote a history of the Furnishing Trades mm-hmm. Union and I wrote one of an asbestos factory in Tasmania. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I'm just about to do one of the Ballarat Trades and Labor Council. So if people want to get a hold of your writings, what's the best way for them? Do they just Google your name or? Um, yeah. I think so. That'd be the best way. Or they can people can write to me. I'm Lynn Beaton at mm. gmail dot com. So that's two pretty N's, easy. Two N's. That's right. So L Y double N B A T O N and at gmail dot com. And if anyone wants to, I've got furnishing trades history books I can send to people if they mm. want them. Right. Um, the book about the miners is online as an ebook and um, other books I'll have to talk about. Mm. But your, your grandmother yet? Oh, yes. How many grandchildren? I've only one, um, but she is the light of my life. She Mm -hmm. is just Alice and she's 11 now Mm -hmm. and she is, you know, I mean, you know, you ask a grandma about her grandchildren and it's just wonderful. And it's such an unexpected wonder for me. I mean, I know a lot of people can't wait to be grandmas. Mm. I wasn't like that at all. Mm. It didn't even occur to me really that there was a thing about, uh, you know, Until suddenly I saw this gorgeous little baby and fell in love. Oh. Well, on that note, <laughs> and I'm still in love. <laughs> on that note, thank you, Lynn. Thank you, Lynn Beaton, thank you, for uh, talking to us on Radical Australia. Thank you for sharing your life with well, our listeners. Thank you uh, for a wonderful opportunity. <laughs> well, no, look, uh, look, the pleasure is all mine. The Empress and myself, we are and thank very you, pleased. Dale. So, as we said before, if you think your life is interesting, we don't want any boring people. Or you know somebody interesting who we should interview on Radical Australia. Who is politically active as well. well they don't have to be politically active. Well, it's could be could be Lynn's ninety five year old mother if she was politically active. That's right. We like we like. As long as you're active. Yeah, yeah. Well, you may be retired. Radical Australia right. at gmail dot com. Post office box one two seven seven Collingwood three oh six six. Thank you very much, Lynn. And Thank you all very the best much. to you and your family and your friends and uh, all the things you've done over the years and congratulations. Well, all thank the best. You. And to you. Everybody knows that the days are loaded Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed Everybody knows the war is over Everybody knows the good guys lost Everybody knows the fight was fixed The poor stay poor, the rich get rich That's how it goes Everybody knows Everybody knows that the boat is leaking Everybody knows 
broken feeling Not like their father or their dog just died Everybody talking to their pockets Everybody wants a box of chocolate And a long stem rose Everybody In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. You can get your copy of 3CR's book for $49.50 at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or online at 3cr.org. 